0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of The Wrong Theater on the 610 Podcast Network. This is your host, Stephen Malley, alongside by Aidan LaCourie and Billy Bruno, back again for our Tuesday show. And today, we have movie reviews for you. Oddly enough, that is something we can offer you right now. It's weird. We haven't done it in a while, but the three of us watched two movies that have nothing to do with each other and couldn't be more different. Um, the first of which is Aaron Sorkin's masterpiece, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Adam Sandler's masterpiece, Hubie Halloween.
1: So wait
2: masterpiece is one way to put it for Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween.
0: They just couldn't be more different.
1: So this is these are the second and third films I think we've watched together essentially this year. Because the first and then that was what? Like a month ago and then these two. (laughs) Both, both honestly, surprisingly, with especially with Hubie Halloween, we'll get into it. But both very enjoyable to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'll have to say, like, I'm glad I watched both. I can yeah. say that. Yeah, for sure. I did not
2: really pick up on the buzz of this trial of, of the Chicago Seven until like a month ago,
0: when so, they
2: released the trailer or another I, trailer.
0: I had heard about it, and I had s- known that Sorkin was directing it, and then I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, oh, cool. And then Friday night we were like, let's watch a movie. And I was like, I opened Netflix and I was like, oh my god, it it came out.
1: Well, I remember the ensemble cast. This was like yeah. over a year ago, might have even been yeah. It. Whenever they announced the movie and its cast, that was a big buzz. But it kind of tailed off because I mean, COVID did that with the movies that I guess are still planning on being released. Like, it's really, the only one. Off the, I mean, there's Coming to America the second coming to america obviously Charles chicago 7 even uh F- david fincher's uh Mank, those like three i feel like the buzz tailed off as code really took it away and you just didn't even expect it to be coming out um and the marketing was just small but it, it did really sneak up on TV because they dropped the trailer a, uh, a month before released it in select theaters but it was well worth the wait and personally i guess if we're jumping right into it i think it
0: we are it jumping right bumps. into it
1: um I gave it, an, just if we're going to go, because we usually I gave it an 88 out of 100. Um, for me personally, I think it's battling with The uh, Five Bloods, Spike Lee's uh, summer release for the best movie of the year so far. Um, we'll get into why I loved it. I just thought the cast was really well, and obviously what Sorkin's known for as a screenwriter is his dialogue, and I mean, that's what makes this film go. I mean, the dialogue was off the charts. There's definitely some tweaks in his directorial style, but compared to his first um, movie that he's ever directed, which is Molly's Game, definitely a significant improvement. And I think something I talked with the two of you about is the rare, rare, like massive historical moment where I feel like I had no idea what to expect. Like I had generally really never heard of the case until doing research about the movie. Um, and I really did not know the outcome of it or what the events uh, exactly were. So it was just really a learning experience as well as watching a great film. That's kind of my broad takeaways from that movie.
2: I didn't know about it either. And I think that's one of the reasons why until like a month ago, I didn't really have that high on a list for upcoming movies for me. But I don't know if you remember this, Aiden, when we saw the trailer on TV and I turned to you and said, that's going to be the best movie of the year. Do you remember that?
1: that? That was a moment that occurred in our household.
2: It was. I also gave it an 88, funny enough. It is number 66 ever on my list of movies. I think it's that good. Wow. It was fantastic. There wasn't really a point in the movie where I like say oh that wasn't really well done or I would change this. I thought that Sasha Baron Cohen was fantastic and could be looking at a supporting actor nod come award season potentially. The whole ensemble cast did a very good job. And I have to hand it out to uh, the guy who played the judge because he honestly Made me hate him. And I know you said that in the chat, Steve, in our group chat. You were yeah, talking yeah. about how much it means, you yeah. disliked the judge. Yeah. And that's means, just, that just shows how that was a great acting performance by that guy. Yeah, me and Steve it.
1: It just elicited it, it – his performance elicited genuine emotion because, again, it goes back to the fact that I didn't know the basics of this case. So I had no idea going in that the judge would be behaving like that. Um, I had no idea that he would be so clearly against the seven, and um, and Bobby seal obviously is shown in the movie, and it was genuinely infuriating to watch because it, it it felt like I'm experiencing this for the first time. I had no idea, and he he did a phenomenal job truly conveying the hatred and and disgust that he what was true as I I later researched was this judge's contempt and hatred for this group, and he he made no. Um, no effort to even try and contain that. He, he, he ruined the American justice system, truly. He, he, he stained the American justice system by uh, clearly basing making his decision before any of the facts were known.
0: So, I mean, I, just to echo you guys, I mean, I'm in total agreement. I gave it a 90 and going over, I mean, I don't have the complete list like you guys do, but I have my movies in categories and I have top 10 to 15s and this jumped to number three without even hesitation of being one of my favorite historical movies uh, of all mm-hmm. time. Yeah. It was so well done. And I agree with Billy. I I mean, who am I to say what they should change? But often I do. And I was so in, like, so on the edge of my seat, the entire movie, I wasn't waiting for a bad scene or I wasn't expecting a bad scene. I was just expecting to learn more. And again, like you guys, I had no idea what this was going to be about. I had no idea that this was a huge thing in, in the 70s. And again, like you guys, like I was genuinely infuriated with the way the movie was going, not because of the movie, but because of like the flaws in the American justice system in the early seventies. And you were saying that guy, and it's Frank Langella, who's one of the greatest actors of all time. I and mean, he played Richard Nixon in Frost vs. Nixon, which is my second favorite historical movie of all time uh, behind Vice. Um, And Frank Langella is an incredible, incredible actor and just portrays anybody in any light, exactly how they're supposed to be. And I just felt genuine anger throughout the trial as if I was also on trial or affected by the verdict. And I just can't, I I was blown away with how well done it was. Like it it didn't, I knew it was going to be good. I knew, I think a lot of people knew it was going to be good. I just didn't think it would be this good. And I would like it this much. And I've haven't stopped reading about the, their stories. I mean, some of them, a few of them are still alive, but most of them uh, have passed, but it's just, it's an incredible, incredible story. And again, I knew nothing about it. I think it's so weird.
2: I feel like I would have known something about it even just throughout school. They would have, yeah, throughout school. I thought thought
0: it'd be mentioned once or twice, but no, I I had no idea.
1: When you saying it was going to be good, I think that brings up the key point is Aaron Sorkin as a screenwriter, um, unrivaled. Um, But when he's directing, I think there are definitely some flaws in his directorial style based on his two movies. But it's hard to make a movie that misses when you have truly the genius he does when it comes to crafting dialogue. And that combined with what I thought was really a truly like a perfectly cast cast like that cast was perfect for all their roles i thought they all really nailed nailed them um when you combine those two it's hard to have a film that's bad even the little flaws chinks in the armor that sorkin has as a director i thought that was outweighed because just i could have watched a whole movie like that just the dialogue really just the character interaction. Um, and that courtroom scene the entire time they didn't really even need to do much more for me. And I think it would have been the staring edge as one of the the best movies this year. But and you can you can go. I'm just gonna. I wanted to talk about. We can talk about it. Well, I yeah, your
0: point I just wanted to mention. So I mean, we, we talk about. I mean, the cast was perfect, and I thought the Keaton. I mean, seriously, thing. I had no idea Keaton was supposed to be in it. So I remember watching the trailer, and I guess I missed him. He's in the trailer. I I totally missed that part. So when when they were when they were going to. Um, the former attorney general's office, I was like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And it was Keaton basically playing himself. But I read that this is how the attorney general acted. This is the kind of guy he was. I mean, he essentially was, you know, a quippy, older, seasoned legal veteran. But my point was how impressed I was with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's one of the best actors. Of our generation i mean the guy is in all kinds of different movies and i i was just i mean he's gonna get swept under the rug because of the fact that he wasn't really a focal point i mean he was a part of the movie but he wasn't a focal point in terms of uh who who was starring i mean he he, he's gonna get swept under the rug by sasha baron cohen even the, the defendants legal team and then yam too um but i mean joseph gordon levitt was was terrific
2: I'm glad you mentioned him, Steve, because I was wondering what was the last thing I'd seen Joseph Gordon Lebanon besides this movie. I just feel like he's not really in that many like movies that people see nowadays.
0: I mean, I remember him from, from The Dark Knight, and I remember him a few other things and he's he's in um
2: dark Knight rises but that was eight years ago
0: he's in looper which is a while ago but i I just
1: 7500 which was a film that dropped on amazon prime he was playing like a pilot um i'm pulling up his imdb now but
0: yeah i'm watching his
2: he's just a really good actor i think he's a good actor as well but i just feel like i haven't seen him in anything since the dark Knight rises which uh, looking at his movie since. Yeah. He had
1: yeah, cameos in Endgame and Last Jedi.
2: Yeah.
0: It's cameos. Knives. I mean, I just. I mean, he's in Lincoln, which again was eight years ago.
1: Oh, Project Power—that um, dropped on Netflix. He's been on a lot of, um, like, streaming services. His last like legitimate role that released in theaters was Snowden.
0: I never seen that. Yeah, nor have I. 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 Um. But 7, I just think he's—I think he's super talented.
1: Yeah, the seventy-five hundred project. All—all really uh, all streaming service movies, and two of those have very solid reviews.
2: Like, is he getting offered? Is he getting offered bigger roles and just turning him down, or are people not considering him? I don't know. That's the question I want to know the answer to because I feel like we should be seeing him more often than we do. I also. I knew that Keaton was going to be in the movie. I wanted him to be in it a little bit more just because he was Michael Keaton. I I, I didn't cool know he was going to be in it, and I was pleasantly
0: him. surprised.
2: I just knew Keaton was going to be in it, and I actually watched this movie. In, like in I had an intermission pretty much. I watched it before I went to bed the last two nights, and I hadn't gotten to Keaton the after the first night of watching it. And I was just like,
0: when is he going to show up?
2: Mm. So he had a nice little role. I just – I love Michael Keaton, so I would have.
0: Yeah, I'd I love Michael love Keaton.
2: More
0: That's why I was like, oh my God. I literally said that. I was like, huh, it's Michael Keaton. I, I, I had to have missed it in the trailer. I was just so focused on Sasha Baron Cohen, who I think. It's his Oscar to lose for Best Supporting Actor. I mean that that performance was incredible. The yeah. guy is just I, the guy is nuts. I like, knew when we in, were talking his about. talent level.
1: Yeah, I knew when we were gonna t- when we were talking about what are we doing today. We're like, all right, we all watch Chicago Seven. Let's drop our review. We have to talk about sasha Baron Cohen's performance because It was out of this world. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he was my. I think if we're if I wanted to ask you as your MVP of the film. Um, I thought it was Sasha Baron Cohen. I think he so, did. it was a really it was a beautiful performance in a, performance in a way because it was such a multi layered um, role that he had, and he really delivered on all fronts, really showing this sarcastic, witty, but deep inside just truly genius of a guy who many people didn't believe
0: to be so just based on his appearance. I've I've got co MVPs then. I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull a 1995 uh, NBA Rookie of the Year, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take co MVPs here. I'm gonna take uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, and I loved—I mean, for the same thing you said, Aiden. I'm not gonna repeat what you said, but it's—it's it's just 100% accurate. But I loved Mark Rylance as uh, William Nussler, the custler, uh, the uh, the yeah. representative of the defense. I mean, so I was watching—I was watching the movie, and I was like, "Why do I know him? Why do I know him?" And he was uh, the game creator in Ready Player One. Yeah, and he was in um, disguise. And he was the BFG in the BFG. Um, Brick of
2: spies is where i first saw him i'm pretty sure he won best supporting actor in that
0: yeah he's a really really good actor um but i when so he was you know when i was reading about him he was a uh essentially the the character not the character but the real life attorney was a calm you know northern southern man like he he was a northern guy but he had a southern charm to him and you know he was a relaxed guy but he he would get he got 16 charges of of contempt And he was fired up in there. And I was like, yes, I am fired up with you. My favorite scene in the movie um, was when they approach and uh, the judge asks if they are insinuating that he has racial bias. And he said, not in my 80 years have I ever been accused of racial bias. And uh, Leonard Weinglass, who's Ben Shankman's uh, character, says, you know, uh, let let me be the second after yeah, you know exactly. that was that was my favorite scene and it, it wasn't close i mean that was just awesome yeah, yeah my
1: favorite scene in terms of like kind of like the emotion watching over you i think truly was that last scene which i want to talk about later oh well, yeah that was, but in terms of just like the, the minor scenes um
0: was, i think was, that was the best scene it, the last one the but my
1: scene, yeah. but anytime um uh sasha Baron cohen or who played
0: um um uh jeremy strong who's in the judge as the as robert dine jr's younger brother and i've so i've seen both of these movies in the past month the judge and um child of chicago seven and he is he is just this guy's a chameleon
1: yeah whoever played so jerry yeah jeremy strong so jeremy whenever strong jerry in the let's call it whenever um Jerry Rubin or Abby Hoffman disrupted the trial. I was, yeah. that was kind of my favorite, like many, like not many scenes, but just like- Sure. Those were, my, those were my favorite, I thought that was impressive. And from what I read, that was very um, close to what reality was, where they constantly interrupted and kind of attacked the judge in a comedic way. Billy, like, what was your favorite scene from the movie?
2: I mean, the end was just extremely powerful. I, I got a little tears. I got it came out. I was, I was fired up, but I also really like when they did the sidebar, and uh, like that's like you were saying, Steve. That's the first time in my career that someone yeah. has accused me of not being impartial. And then the other the other lawyer let was let me be there. the second. Let me be the second. Yeah, But the record show. I also like the scene with Michael Keaton on the stand as well. Um, I mean, there's just so many to pick from.
0: But I had to go I, with one. The ending scene was just very powerful. Yeah. And in my opinion, just the perfect way to end that movie. Keaton's scene in, in his office where he looks at Eddie Redmayne's like, I got the stones. And I was like, all right, Michael Keaton, you beast. <laughs> I was I was expecting him to be like, I was expecting like the the mood that Sorghum was creating in that scene. And he was like, oh, Michael Keaton's not going to take the stand because of legal practice. And he looks at Eddie Redmayne's like, I got the stones and I was like, yes, let's yeah, go. We're gonna win this. It was
1: genuinely hilarious when the judge was literally taking essentially orders yeah. from the guy on the sink because he was the former attorney general. But okay. no, I, Michael Keaton and what well, essentially was kind of like essentially like a cameo appearance. Like it was just such a short it, it time. Was. It was it and was, it was
0: essentially him playing himself as the attorney general.
1: It and was the ringer. So obviously the ringer is Bill Simmons Media Company, and honestly. For us, especially when I like when we were literally making this podcast network, granted, no matter how small it is, I took inspiration from how Simmons created it, right? The different types of podcasts and letting personalities be their own. But essentially, they have a podcast called The Rewatchables where they go back and watch movies and do like whole hours. So it's a little different than ours. We do a lot more breaking down the news and our lists and all that. But they have a category and they have like awards for each movie that they break down. And all the movies have to be before 2000. That's real. but. They have a award called the Dion Waiters role, and essentially the Dion Waiters award is for the actor or actress who comes in the movie and has like under ten minutes of screen time but absolutely steals the show. Is in relation to Dion Waiter, his like heat checks. Michael Keaton would be the Dion Waiter. Yeah,
0: award no was. doubt.
1: Oh, of he course. And was throwing ninety mi- ninety five miles per hour right down the middle, just smoking by people. He was unreal. Michael Michael Keaton this decade has been in some really good movies. Spotlight comes to mind. The Founder, Seven. Um, he's good in The Founder. The rest of that movie I don't think is, but no.
0: He yeah. was in
2: Birdman, which I didn't really like to be honest, but I know it won a bunch of awards.
0: It won so many awards. But whatever. Homecoming. He was in Spider-Man. He I mean he's in Spider-Man. He's coming back. He's oh, in, he
2: was he was in Toy Story 3.
0: He's also in um Start the Decade. He's also in, like, Cars, all that stuff. Like, Minions, Dumbo. Like, he, he's been around. He he, he kind of made a resurgence in the in the 2010s. Like, like obviously, he's Batman and Beetlejuice, and he was in Jackie Brown. Um, then he kind of, you know, now he's... He was also, sorry, I shouldn't leave out Night Shift and Mr. Mom, which are two awesome movies. Um, but he got world recognition for beetlejuice and batman but i think he's making a resurgence and he's probably probably one of my favorite actors he's also he's also in the other guys we can't leave that out yeah in in an incredibly great comedic role but yeah i mean he stole the show and again me just being a little bit silly and not i guess missing him in the trailer looking away for a second because he's only in the trailer for a second just looking away and him him being a pleasant surprise i mean when we discussed that we were like gonna watch it I was like, I'm really glad that I don't know anything. And sometimes and throughout movies, I can pick up on stuff. But I, I mean, I knew that I had a, like an inkling they were going to be innocent. But I was like, I don't know, man. Like I'm, all, I'm in this roller coaster and I really don't know when we're getting off because this, this has been wild, a well, wild two hours.
1: Yeah, I want to talk to you about them. Essentially, five of the seven um, were found guilty, right? So I want to talk to you kind of relating back to that last scene. Cause they're
2: they f- were found guilty of part some of the charges, yeah. not all of the charges.
1: But we obviously all like the movie. So we're all 88 plus. But there was a despite, it, I believe it's still over and right around in 90% around tomatoes so majority of people, but there was still, I saw personally a solid amount of complaints about the movie, some issues. And I wanna I wanna read some of these complaints and hear your guys' thoughts on them. Just or let opinion.
0: me let me preface this before you know you get into this. Uh, I, I'm very opinionated and I get attached easily. This movie means something to me, and it, I've only I've, it's only been in my life for five days. So I am very against these people before I even hear what they. Oh no, I don't I'm expect you prefacing. to change your
1: mind. I just want to think. I, I,
0: no, I'm just telling the listeners that, that I wanna there is nothing be, they will say. I want it more to be like a, hmm, like I, I don't think of that in some way.
1: Oh.
2: I will also say that there could be
0: a little bit of recency
2: bias here just because...
0: There's definitely recency me, bias because of my lack at, of movie.
2: Right. Looking at the yeah. movies this year, like there are some that were definitely enjoyable, but I had all other movies that were good Like in the 70s. This is the first movie this year where I can say this is very, very good.
0: I agree with that. Probably
2: like, the last movie that I've said that um, since maybe like Ford versus Ferrari. Okay. nineteen seventeen, It's around there. And that's, we're talking 10
0: months. I will say my movie philosophy is I'm an emotional movie watcher and certain movies get me fired up, good or bad. And this is a good fired up. And this movie, I'm on this movie side for a while. Like I'll have to rewatch it. And if I, it doesn't bring the same reaction, which I, I just can't see it not, this movie is going to end up being one of my all-time favorites. So here are my questions. On that last scene, this is one
1: movie critics reviews. I think the last scene in the movie is bad. It feels forced. The music is sentimental and obvious. It's overly tidy for its subject matter that's much more nuanced and complicated. It has only a passing connection to the facts of what really happened. It feels like something from a lesser movie. I get the bind. Screenwriter Aaron Sorkin was in the movie is about the original trial, one which ended in defeat for five the seven defendants. You want a moment for the audience to be able to celebrate with these characters we've been watching, but there had to be a way to do it that didn't feel so contrived.
0: Um, the first thing, heavily, yeah. The first thing I'd like to say is um, I felt that all that was being going that, that Sorkin was going for was raw emotion and you could actually feel the raw emotion radiating off of Eddie Redmayne shaking reading that like it, it looked is so like the the acting process and that's that's to Eddie Redmayne's credit mm-hmm. was so raw and emotional like his, his hands are shaking his voice is coming in and out um so I think that was a perfect way to end the movie and i think it was perfectly executed because you as a viewer you know i i I, it's hard to demonstrate it but you know you kind of sit up almost when that's happening you're like oh my god like and then you know your your throat kind of changes like your eyes start to you know water not water up for everybody but like you start to like oh my god like this is this is a i'm in i'm i'm invested in this scene i think that goes down to like it's let's say it's a poorly acted scene then it's a bad scene but it was a perfectly executed scene by Eddie Redmayne and I think that was a great way to end the movie I know that it was dramatized a little bit um, because I know they didn't let him finish the list obviously um, like they were basically insinuating happened in the movie but I think that was a perfect way to end the scene or end the movie and it was a perfectly executed yeah, for the scene. record
1: I disagree with it as well I thought it was a good way I, I, I my point is I understand the author's point but I, I, I don't think Sword did, I think Sword and wanted to end on a victory even though the trial really didn't and even it was really depressing to see what happened to them like um abby hoffman uh committed suicide um jerry rubin i believe one of them
0: he got hit by a car,
1: by a car. like yeah. there was a lot of negativity yeah and and what kind of really leads me to my second point which is one i more more on discuss, and it does wade into some political grounds but we've had these respectful discussions for and it's really One of the biggest knocks I read on Sorkin, all the reviews, and it's really interesting to say, is that he overly um, idealizes this liberal ideology, and all of his movies and films and shows are aimed to, I'll read it, this review does it more, is um, what he stands for is a set of beliefs that can be best described as the Democratic Party platform, that paradoxical alliance of meritocratic elitism, identity-based appeals for equal justice, comfort with the market, and faith that the institutions controlling our country, be they governmental, corporate, military, or legal, would be forces for good if only the right people, the most intelligent, socially conscious, and most of all liberal people were guiding them. And I only want to bring that up because all the negative reviews, other than aside from that cut from the last scene, brought that up. So there was a recurring theme of the negative reviews from like legitimate sort not non-biased sources. And I just found that really interesting because I, I couldn't disagree less um personally i i I understand if there's flaws in his use of music which um relative for some of the shots he had i don't think were great like that's parts of his director directorial nature that i think he needs to improve upon like there's some legitimate knocks i think on like the soundboard and when he was reviewing the movie like that wasn't maybe the best use of the song there Some said like oh you can probably get some better there
0: there were a few instances that i can that it's easy to point out that the music is way too loud when people are talking that's what I'm that's, talking a, about. that's a very fair criticism but i'm talking but about sorkin's i know what you're talking about yeah to west wing
1: like when yeah. this was made during the bush administration or that it over idealizes a, a specific ideology and those who connect with these movies more have that similar ideology with them and that he the he really tries to cash in on the divisiveness in our political sphere. With
0: I mean, this is a very
1: nuanced tank, but I think I would love to discuss it with you guys.
0: It's so this movie is going, this movie already made its money back. If we want to, we can preface it with that. This movie has been one of the most watched movies of 2020 in such a short amount of time. And this movie is absolutely capitalizing on the political Political landscape we're in right now because it is a divisive film. Um, it is Democrats versus Republicans. It's very clear as day. Um, the entire justice system in 1968 was red um, because there was a Republican in president. That's just that's just how it works. That's how it works in America. Um, and it was a Republican president trying to suppress uh, the voices of those who opposed their ideologies. Now I will say this only. Eddie Redmayne's character and I—I I forget his partner's character. Um, those were the only two true Democrats in the of the defendants. So it really wasn't red versus blue. It was more red versus those who don't hundred percent agree uh, with red. But you know, I, I will say that I like this movie because I my beliefs align with Aaron Sorkin's, a person who is a maybe a little bit racially biased and doesn't really, um, promote social change, probably from an older demographic, probably would hate this movie because it really champions those who are different skin color, um, gender, uh, sexuality, um, uh, income class. Like it, it champions those who, you know, some people struggle to accept. And it's definitely a divisive movie in a sense of who will like it and who won't. But it, it can't deny that it's historically accurate. I mean, it's, it's a it's, it's straight factual movie. There is no um, plot bias in the sense that, you know, there's someone painted out to be, you know, the, the true bad guy. The true bad guy is the American justice system. And that has flaws on both sides. Interesting
1: is from what I read, there was definitely, well mostly accurate, there was definitely some things manipulated, like when people went, how they got it. But the key thing that everyone assumed was exaggerated was the judge like everyone's like you're watching this you're probably thinking oh sorkin is just exaggerating this for the dramatic effect. but in reality that's exactly how it went how about little things got changed such as um uh, eddie redmond's character's speech at the end of the movie tom hayden's speech that was actually a little bit earlier in the trial and he was cut off as you said steve that like is dramatized but the judge wasn't and i mean yeah no i I agree with you I, i definitely think there's an interesting part but i think it is interesting to look back at sorkin's Filmography and kind of note that he does seemingly have this almost inability to separate, like that's like his go to. His go to is it's his go to because that's, that's how
0: passionate about why would it not that, be as exactly as that's how he is as a person. And sorry, Billy, one thing I wanted to finish up with is this movie was written, um, produced, and created in a time or sorry, not in a, I'm sorry, this movie was written, produced, shot purposefully in the time it was picked. This was on purpose. This was intentionally supposed to be released in this time frame. Yes. They originally picked early 2019. Um, did it work out for them in terms of, you know, maybe their um, monetary goals, probably not, but ideologically, this is probably the best possible time for this movie to be released because that's how Aaron Sorkin thinks and acts as a person. I mean, you can just look at his Twitter account um, and some of the columns he writes for the Washington post. Um, this guy, clearly leans one way and is using his platform as a talented filmmaker and film writer um, to demonstrate his beliefs.
2: Yeah, I was looking at his filmography as well and just to see if I can see a pattern in some of the films and his ideologies. And you can see a couple, especially in a few good men. You can notice that with the differences between, you know, how the military is treating their own, you can kind of align that with what their beliefs would be politically, I can see. Um, The Social Network, I would say that's like something they're all millennials. They tend to shift to the left, so that could be why he was drawn to make that movie as well. But this movie, I mean, clearly political components then that align with what's happening right now. A lot of people watching it could get triggered by this movie. Um, I'm sure a lot of people don't like it, like you said, Steve. But honestly, like it really resonates with what's going on now and just shows you that how there's been so many problems in this country for so long and, you know, making a film about it. I think it's a great medium for how to express yourself. So I don't see a problem. If he's passionate about this, wants to, you know, bring the issue to light, if,
0: if that's what he wants to do, that's how you can do it. So what I want to add on is, you know, you say he wants to bring it to light. I think you know, this movie was was greenlit about three weeks after the Charlottesville incident. And I think this is more not Sorkin bringing it to light, but I think he's just using his talent to demonstrate how similar 1968 and essentially 2019 are, because that's when it, the intended uh, release date was. Um, but I think I texted you. Yeah, you did, but I'm saying, well, like, I'll let you go, but my point is, you know, he did this on purpose. I mean, this is truly to show how, and I, you know, I, I, I don't like to get overly political, but red or blue uh, or or no opinion at all. You can't deny that this is the most second most divisive time in in recent American history, besides the early civil rights movement. I mean, we have genuine civil rights at risk right now, just because of who we have in power. It's, it's, it's just, it's common sense that there is divisiveness going on. And I think This is absolutely an intentional release time and creation by Sorkin. And I think that this film will be divisive in a sense, not, you know, it won't divide people. It will just divide people who will like it versus people who won't like it because people are going to watch it and they already are. But whether they like it or not, they've already watched it and essentially paid
1: for it. My one Um, final thought on this specific debate, almost I guess, discussion is, I texted you, Steve, and I was like, it's just was stunning to see that this, what they're protesting has changed, but the scenes that we saw really have.
0: The scenes always could correct. have been on Channel 6 yesterday. The same scenes they shot uh, in, in that movie could have been on TV yesterday because the similarities between how they protested, how they retreated. I mean, I, I know for a fact, just because I had family and friends on the front lines in Philadelphia this year. This year, 2020, the way they were treated was almost identical without the television cameras to the way those people were treated in Chicago. I'm not agreeing with how or what the people, uh, the the Chicago 7 were doing. I don't 100% agree with what they were doing and how they were doing it, but – what they were doing then is the same thing the people in Philadelphia and again, all over the country and the globe as well were doing. And the reactions were the same. I mean, it's 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 not even a parallel. It's identical. It's identical to how it was 50 years ago.
2: You could really 60. see the
0: similarities as well between
2: the protesters in the movie and the protesters today. Now, yeah. Where how a lot of them, you know, they're saying they want to keep it peaceful. Peaceful. And they still end up getting a bad rap. Yeah. While there are other protesters who were out there to incite violence and should like if you go and hit and attack a police officer, like you deserve to get hit. Yes. Back. Um but then the whole group of protesters gets the negative light, which you see or we saw happen over this summer.
1: Yeah from, I mean, all I, the time. And even with just the overarching fact of this largely a uh, large for the a large swath of the protests being these peaceful protesters, the majority of them peaceful protesting for they change in and a government that attacks their freedom of speech, hates on their freedom of speech, hates on their views, and does not allow them and cast them as enemies. Like the, I mean you see it this summer of our government, our president in power, um, going after Suppressing
0: the ideologies yeah. of those who disagree with him. I mean, yes,
1: it's, is, again, the word was just kind of it was yeah. a saddening realization. And you see it anytime you go over, um, like the civil rights movement, the images from there could come from now, movies like this. And it's just kind of depressing to note. And this, these movies really make you think of how little our country has actually come in the past 50, 50 something years.
0: 60 years.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. To but turn the conversation I mean, a little bit more away? from like like, what our country is about. Um, I will say that the best movies are the ones that make an impact on someone's life.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. In comedies, it could just be that movie made me feel great for two hours and you watch it again, always brings you joy. The historical movies like this that make you think about situations in the world. I mean, those movies are really important, I think, not just for entertainment value. But you can learn a lot from watching movies like this. Like action movies, too. I mean, that's there for enjoyment. You get attached to those type of characters. So all these movies can affect you and change your life in a different way. But movies like this are just so educational as well. And they're really important to watch. Because I think it can help you realize situations and understand them better by watching these types
1: of movies.
0: I mean, it's just our movies. Yeah, though my opinion obviously is slanted because of just how I am. I believe, like I agree with Billy, like this movie should be required to, like you should require children to watch this. You have to see how certain people were treated in this country based off of their beliefs. And again, the movie obviously was not made bias-free. Like that's that is that would be ignorant to say. And a lot of movies and a lot of video have slants, but this is you know this is genuinely I would say. I would go even as high to say 70% accurate in terms of, you know, what it really was like and how it's not different from now. So like, you know, just, you know, I agree with Billy. It makes you think, so it should be, this should be shown to those who need to learn how to think, i.e. Like this generate, like children, like they need to see this because they need to, I, again, not to like eight year olds, because it's, it's a little violent and a little excessive, but like 15 year olds, like learn, you need to learn how, it was and how it kind of is still
1: yeah Transition though to more of like an an outside the box kind of question my last question on trial of chicago 7 complete transition from what we're talking, world series sure would you guys have rather had this as the movie that it was or a six-part netflix miniseries
0: no the movie i liked i liked being on my i liked being able to know that in one sitting i was going to get through <laughs> it yeah, terms. not wow. even answers, just I knew that I was building up to a verdict Maybe in two, maybe. In two and a half hours. I'm not going to
1: box it into six parts, just like a Netflix miniseries. And no, I I, I very
0: much enjoyed the movie version. From what I
1: read, despite, as you said, it being largely factual, I think from what I read, there was definitely some content that was missed out on. And I would love to see some of the more courtroom interactions drawn out, some of those subplots really more explored. So even if it's like a four part miniseries, I think you could have added a couple of more hours to that movie to further and even just more sorkin dialogues never bad so i'm honestly in the boat love the movie i said given 88 i would much like looking at it i think it would even fit even better as a netflix miniseries like even four part like a four-part netflix miniseries adding like a three and a half making total three and a half to five hours i think that would work better.
2: i am a fan of miniseries in general but i will have to stick with this as a movie i just think it was very very well done i don't know how much I would have benefited from it being a miniseries probably would have learned more they could have gone more in depth then I also think the pace could have really slowed down and there would have been points that you're just watching it's like all right like we gotta speed this up because I really like the pace of this movie
0: I love it, the pace of this movie it, it kept, I 100% it kept agree you
2: moving you had enough court scenes you had enough out of the court scenes you know but they meshed together really well. I agree. Yeah, I think it was put together well, it was edited well, and the pace was great. It just, it kept flowing very, very, very I well. I mean, I'm saying that. I over it.
1: think a answer. So I don't think it, so like I, don't think I point,
2: would change
1: it. My point in the many series is vision is also some of those slow parts for me, I think can just be overridden and set by. I'm a, the sucker for Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, right? That he creates. So the dialogue was such a crucial part. You could have slower moments but the dialogue just makes it feel like it's constantly moving i don't think there's a wrong answer because again there's not much change about the movie i guess my personal belief is i would love to learn even a little more and then dive even more depth in depth to some of those specifically those courtroom experiences
0: what i would not mind and i'd like to just completely you know disregard the two choices i would like a four-part six-part documentary series without the movie Like just like, so like, so that I can actually learn way more. I mean, again, if I'm getting more Sorkin dialogue, that's fine. But, you know, now that I've seen, essentially I've gotten an elongated spark note of the movie or of the, sorry, of the story, I would like the six part, you know, interviews from those who were there, um, the actual people who were there, maybe some historians who devoted their, you know, their academia to this this case, um, that I would really, really like, and that I would give essentially I'm, uh, the time to watch.
1: I don't even know what channels are, but like a thirty for thirty style. I guess is the way to describe. It. Like like.
0: Uh, I mean, like a or like a not by Ken Burns, but like a Ken Burns. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. Uh, yeah, something like, like that. with actual footage and interviews. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, uh, again, no. it'll be difficult because a lot of them are dead.
1: But but it does go back to the fact that that should be important because. I was going to mention when you said it should, and Billy said it should be watches, kind of sad that a lot of people seem to not know about this case. And it's I would problem.
0: call myself a history buff and a passion of mine is yeah, history. You know, and I know. have never even heard, I mean, I knew Bobby seal uh, uh, because he's in Forrest Gump uh, and I knew just of him in general. Uh, but other than that, we learned about the black Panther party. I we never did learn about, yeah, but I um, didn't know any of that. I say we do a sharp 180
1: (laughs) voice and get into the other movie we
0: watched, Hubie Halloween. (laughs) If there
1: was
2: ever a 180, this is it. This
0: (laughs) is a 720. We go around,
1: around. Into Adam Sandler with that goofy voice and one of the main jokes of the movie being his utility thermos.
2: Now, let me say, I want to start this off by saying (laughs) I had extremely low expectations. I was pegging this in for bottom 10 movie that i ever seen. It was not that I was pleasantly surprised.
0: I I will echo Billy. I was just waiting to hear the abuse of how bad it was going to be, and at the end I was like, "Hmm, not that bad." Like that's that's literally what I said to myself. I was like, "Wow, that was not that bad." Again, wasn't good, but it was not that. I mean, the first forty-five seconds, I was like, "Oh God, what did you do, Adam?" And then, and then I was, and then as the, the movie went on, I mean, we're gonna spoil it, but like as it went on, I was like. Huh. I'm hooked.
1: Here's the here's the key for me. I gave it a 48, right? Because it wasn't a good movie, but it was like it was an enjoyable, what, hour and forty five minutes. My thing was if I was watching that movie like alone in my room, it it might it would have been a candidate to it to be turned off or just like slugged. through. Watching it with essentially our whole house made it so much more enjoyable because you were just kind of experiencing like the dumb laughter, just like what is going on with everyone else. Um some cameos were nice, just the sheer outrageousness of outrageousness of it made it enjoyable, and there are some, there was some generally funny reoccurring jokes in there. Um, my big knock on it, me and Billy talked about. It, I don't know why Sandler felt the need to do the, the voice he did.
0: The voice was just it awesome. didn't bring anything it to it. So unnecessary. It too. was so awful. Like that, that was you just want to make ever.
2: your character sound insanely stupid for no reason. Like he could have just been a shy guy. Why do you have to talk like that? Yeah, I mean, they could have like <laughs> like a lisp or something they could have done, but no one talks like the way he talked there.
1: You know, I mean, once you quickly abandon like the like the idea, like within the first fifteen minutes, you're done being like, "What is going on in this movie?" And you just embrace that you're never going to have any idea what's going on; it's just going to be as what it is. You just kind of are along for the ride. Um, my personal favorite part of the movie was his uh, Hubie's mom's shirts. The search um, for fans. Yeah, that was hysterical. Hysterical running joke. Um, that was really the one I was referring to. Of the joke, Sandler had some moments. Um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of was what it was. What it's that's the, my way to describe it. Once you just embrace <laughs> it, just along for the ride. It was just you were along for the ride. I
0: enjoyed the Ray Liotta parts. I was just like, why is he in this movie? What are you doing in this movie, Ray Liotta? Like that. It was so. It was, and I, I really loved that rob schneider's character was nothing that it was that like he was the uh, mental escapee and he was just trying to get rob steve schneider just needed
2: some work
0: no i know he just needed yeah. some work but i was like like but throughout the whole movie i was like oh the pig mask guy killer like he's bad he's bad and when it when him and steve Buscemi are sitting in the in the police station, I just started cracking up. I was like, really? (laughs) Like, this is so stupid. I found it
1: oddly hysterical, and I really shouldn't have, about when Rob Schneider and Steve Buskemi's character were with the cops, and they were having their finger guns the whole time. I lost it at the time. I don't know why. It was not that funny, but that scene just made me...
0: I thought it was funny, too. (laughs) It's just because it was so dumb. It was so
2: stupid. James' character wasn't as stupid as it Uh, could have
0: been. he He wasn't that good. It was
2: all right. Like no, I'm saying was he fine. wasn't.
0: He wasn't. I didn't really like. Ke- I was expecting more out of Kevin James. He wasn't really anything. Also, though, I did not like the fact that him
2: and Violet Valentine, like Violet Valentine, was it's 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 Vicky
1: Valancourt. Major
2: but, hard for Hughie, and just would
1: never happen. Yeah, See, it would never. But it, it's exactly. a cult. You had to suspend your belief in reality and just embrace it. No, the
2: but that wasn't that was awkward too. Like them interacting, I felt like it wasn't even funny. There were other funny moments in it with Hubie interacting with other people. But I feel like with him and her there weren't even that many funny moments.
0: Yeah. That was that was a direct I have done this before, I'm gonna do it again. That was Vicky Valencourt from the the Water Boy falling in oh, love. Absolutely. And and it just happened to be played by um, it was Julie Bowen who played, um, what's her name, in Happy Gilmore.
1: Yeah, Adam Sandler is a yeah. thing for alliterations. There's so many, like, VVs yeah. in his... Wait, that's the one question I have from this movie that's important. Of- Adam Sandler wants to make a Sandler verse. Steve, I know you're all in on the Sandler verse.
0: I mean, Billy Madison is one of my favorite movies of all time. So if I get to see more Juanita and Billy Madison and more whatever Norm MacDonald does um, in that movie... And just in general, i mean they 're making grown ups three and i 'm going to be in it like that 's just a fact i mean i 'm going to be an extra wherever they are i'll i'll go out wherever it 's supposed to be, even if it 's in space, which is what he said he was going to film it in space grown ups three but a sandler verse uh, it'd be terrible, but i 'd love it because I know i 'm getting gilmore i know i 'm getting madison i'll even i 'll take lenny fader from grown ups the other one oh you know what little uh, um Longfellow Deeds, pretty pretty good Sandler character, um, Big Daddies, uh, Little Nikki with Harvey Keitel in them. Uh, that'd be you know fine. Give me a Sandler verse. The guy can do it. He, Netflix just is like okay, here's money, and he kind of just does whatever he wants with it. So sure, give me a Sandler verse. I'm bored, but make it quick.
2: This was Sandler's
0: best comedy that I have seen in a long time. Um, there've been some the, the really best, bad ones the actual good i what i think is a decent movie like not good but like a decent movie and, and occasionally hysterical was just go with it like i think that was like the best one out of the last 10 years the other ones are unwatchable at at points just I've go with it parts as of like that. The, i don't think it's that good at all i you haven't seen it all the way through no that's i mean I, again but in the last 10 years what Grown ups. The first Grown ups is two thousand eight, so that that doesn't count. I think that's better than both of these. But um I thought that I. I mean, we're, I'm gonna get into the plot here. That was a great twist. I didn't see it coming, and I loved it. I was like, "Damn, it was his mom. It's crazy." She was, but again, they never explained how she did it. I didn't really get it. She was, she was a witch. Yeah. mean um, yeah, I mean, going. was she was she a witch? Like, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> But I, but again, did I expect it to be her, his mom? No, I expected it to be Rob Schneider, and I was pleasantly surprised with the twist because they got me. I had no idea. Yeah, it's was idea funny that. that
2: she did it, and then she just kind of vanished.
0: But like she she had this whole elaborate plan, but that was really smart. And then she was wearing stupid shirts the whole time, so like was, she was like dumb. And then she had this genius plan, and then poof, she was gone. But I, I it wasn't I mean it's better than Jack and Jill, which is probably the worst movie ever created. It's better than Blended. It's better than Grown Ups 2. Um, since Grown Ups 2 isn't even really a movie. It's just like Adam Sandler said, Hey, you're on SNL. Come on, we're gonna have some fun. Um and then I don't even I can't even think of other ones. Like, oh, like Sandy Wexler, those are horrible. Blended. Like those those yeah. I said blended. Uh, the one I said. Oh, the blended, do-over one with David Spade. That movie sucks.
1: Yeah, like awesome I'm sure his Netflix movies just aren't. Oh, different.
0: you know what? Murder Mystery was good. That movie was good.
1: I haven't seen it with Aniston.
0: Yeah, they're good together. That's why Just Go With It's not bad. They're like they have funny, like, chemistry together. I think Just Go With It is a little underrated.
2: Netflix claimed that, like, people watched Murder Mystery and it was like the. I forget what the exact number was, but it was like three times the amount of people that watched the first episode of Game of Thrones season eight, and everyone was just calling such BS on that.
0: You but now, claim uh, that they they was like
1: the like movies top ten. Like, you can't tell me Hubie, Halloween was number two on trending for like the last two weeks. There's it no. Was. It
0: was no quality sh- movie.
1: No shot. No it's good marketing. Sandman it always pops up. They love the Sandman. Even
2: man. though people know the Sandman's gonna put out a bad movie ninety percent of the time, they still love them. I'm
0: looking
1: forward They're to still this looking hustle. for some of that mid '90s magic. I'm looking forward to hustle in uh, what you might call Bucks County. That's that, gonna, that's I, that's I, I gonna like,
0: have like bad movie vibes, but like you're gonna see the acting, the uncut gems acting side of Adam Sandler. Oh no, I like, think hustle's gonna be more serious.
1: I think uh, Sandler in serious movies. He was he's only been in a couple: the witch stories and yeah. uncut gems, and he's kind of hit on both. So
0: yeah, no, but like that. People are going to be like, oh, it's not going to be that good. But then I think people are going to be like, it's not that good. And then they're going to be pleasantly surprised with with how, when he takes himself seriously. But I mean, QB Halloween is definitely out of his bottom six because his bottom six is horrible uh, movies. Like that movie was respectable in terms of what it could have been. I mean, that trailer was horrible. The first 45 seconds were god awful. um, And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Uh, i'm gonna have a lot of work to do
1: yeah but then
0: you put out you put out a good shift
2: i'm confused on the thought process behind what they chose for the trailer because they made it look way
1: worse than it actually was maybe that draws people in we that's why we wanted to watch it we wanted to see how bad it was
2: maybe or we were just starved for new movies
1: i mean i just wondered what goes like through sandler and like the other like in the writer's room like what's like how do they come up with a plot to that kind of movie and like this movie's for me it was a forty-eight. Like I cannot wait to see what Sandler deems the worst movie ever, which he I hope he makes because he got in his mind got snuffed for uncut And
2: all of his boys will be in it: Rob Schneider, David Spade, Kevin James. Bring them back.
1: How they how they all get to D boys? What's the story behind that? So it all started.
0: It all started with the original, like revamp of SNL was like sandler spade farley tim meadows rob schneider and um dennis dugan was a writer and they were all like and norm mcdonald was in the original crew and they were like we're we're really talented we're better than snl and then sandler was like all right i quit and then none of them else no nobody else quit and they kind of like they were all like oh my god adam you actually quit and then they made billy madison and then he was like yeah you idiots like you should have joined me. Like I would you all would have been in it it would have been great. And then Dennis Dugan left SNL too and they were like, all right, let's start
2: Taylor a film did company.
0: You got fired. No, I mean that's the joke that he got fired, but he they were all going to quit. And then it was kinda like the scene it's so that so the scene in um the longest yard that he made with Chris Rock where they trick Brucey into saying, Who are we gonna kiss the guards is um, a direct line from when they went into Lauren Michaels' office and they said, who's going to quit? And then they were like, me, but only Adam Sandler said me. And so it was a little bit of both. But that's just a story that I'm David sure Spade has told.
2: I'm pretty sure that their ratings were going down in like the fifth year when they were all on SNL. So they were just going to bring in He's a old, new cast and they got rid of Sandler.
1: Adam Sandler said in a quote, We kind of quit at the same time that we were fired.
0: That's, I mean, so that's, it's open to interpretation. It's open to interpretation. My final point was going to be it's open to interpretation as to what happened. Interesting. Um, But then. How does Kevin James get in here? So Happy Madison produced Paul Paul Blart, and then they got introduced. (laughs) Kevin James became one of Adam Sandler's boys because of Paul Blart? It had to be before that. I mean, they didn't just produce – I mean, so they probably produced Paul Blart because of their friendship, but I don't think they were – oh, they were in Chuck and Larry too. Um, but Kevin James was never on SNL and, like, never involved in SNL. So I think he kind of just joined late after Chuck and Larry and Paul Blart and then grown-ups is all within that four-year span. Because I always wondered how Ray
1: Romano have you ever, was not have you ever in this
0: seen group. Have you yeah. ever seen I Pronounce You Chuck and Larry? No. It's
1: pixels. Pixels is another awful Adam Sandler
0: movie. So, uh, well, let me. So, Chuck and I pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I'm pretty sure the first, uh, just Kevin James and Adam Sandler movie, like just the two of them, and they play best friends who have to pose as gay partners, um, to get the insurance benefits for Kevin James's kids, um, and that was a controversially funny but also probably shouldn't have made fun of that movie um then so that was their first time together but kevin james was never on snl or anything like that so i'm not really sure kevin james got there i know chris rock was at least on snl and wrote same with tim meadows and dennis dugan but i know they started happy madison because sandler's dad died and billy madison was a huge hit so they were like we have enough money and then they just started to pile on I think they just. Movies.
1: I think they've just been in movies together. That's what all the artists no, mean, That's Sandler. Yeah. James have been in movies enough. S- that's
0: that. what I mean. Yeah, Sandler and James know each other from movies, but all the other guys have known each other since the beginning days of SNL. Interesting.
2: So I was always wondering how you know Ray Romano and Kevin James were so close, and then it yeah. kind of became Kevin James and Adam Sandler, and then how Ray Romano was never included because I thought he would kind of bring him along for the ride. Well,
0: Ray Romano is more in that Scorsese crew that's that well yeah now he does actual like real
2: serious acting jobs more so than comedy
0: oh ray romano
1: who mrs o'malley thinks billy sounds like
0: yeah that that is the first thing she said and i don't hear it i only heard it the first time i don't hear it anymore ray Romano's all like he's all like up there and billy's not that like billy's voice is oh deeper.
1: steve before we go our house was debating if anyone. What was it? Oh, if anyone could do the Hubie Halloween voice or the Borat voice, like a full thing. And we, our house concluded that we're confident that you could do both of them very well.
0: I can do Borat. I really don't know what Hubie Halloween sounds like. No. I, I, yeah, I like. Don't know what he really does. It just like I don't know. his
1: I, tongues I, at the top. So really- he
0: talks like. In, so I mean, I love impressionists, and I'm no nowhere near as good as some of the like. The guys you see on TV, but the when they study actors, like they watch how their mouth moves. And Hubie Halloween's mouth doesn't move. He's just like here the whole time, and then he's like, and it, it, like he's like uh, safety is my top priority. And then like his lips don't move. And I'm like, how do you how do you mimic the way a guy's talk a guy talks if like he's like um Mr. Lambert, Mr. Lambert, Mr. Lambert. Like his mouth doesn't move. Like how are you supposed to mimic him if? If his mouth doesn't move like, with with Borat, like Borat's all like everybody love a premiere Trump, and he's like very out there and open. That was good. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. And yeah. then he's or Borat's like Borat's like yes yes very nice, and he's all like out there. See, our like, house
1: does the very nice, but that's yeah, all we can do. None of us can do like as full sentence as Borat.
2: And some of them aren't even close to sounding like Borat, and they keep saying it over and over. I probably don't
1: sound like it. They just it's say very not
2: close. No, right, but it's so close. like, and you know they're gonna just pick it up, more hand because Borat Two debuts this Friday. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's gonna be our next review. Next, that's be our next debut. review. Borat, yeah, too. this is the well, month like, of
2: Sasha Baron Cohen.
0: I mean, that that guy is a, a chameleon. If you talk about impressions, Sasha Baron Cohen can literally do an impression of anybody. There was an interview he did with, um, I think it was maybe the Hollywood Reporter before um, the Spy released, which is like the the Israeli James Bond miniseries that Netflix made, which I watched. And it really wasn't that good, but it wasn't because of Sacha Baron Cohen. It was because the writing was bad and the some of the other actors were bad, but he... You know, they asked him to do like certain voices and Sacha Baron Cohen doesn't even have to think about it. Like he his and his face doesn't even change. Like he'll just still be laughing and he'll just, you know, rattle off a Morgan Freeman, which is and that guy's that guy's definitely top 10 most talented actor right now. Yeah. But the hard like you're talking about the like the voices is like, if I need to learn if I want to learn how to do someone's voice, I like to watch how their mouth moves. And it's freaking Sandler is just like you know he's sitting in the Like he's standing on his bike he's like Hello Valentine or whatever he says And it, he doesn't his mouth doesn't move And he doesn't like he doesn't enunciate anything Which is why I think it's It's a mixture between the water boy And Billy Madison's like drunk baby voice Like it Like it, it so it's not a real I don't know why he did it Too I mean it just brings me back to that It's stupid that he did it but Again, like it's hard to think about how he talks if you if he doesn't have like he just it's it was so stupid, I don't even know how he did it. Um, so Borat comes out Friday, and that will be we won't be doing a 180 on our next show, it will be more of a, a, a sidestep almost to another um off branded comedy movie. Now that, that's going to be a little bit more interesting because it's shot in real life um and it will document real life uh, america but you know we couldn't have compared to two two more different movies today and it's all, we always like to end on a high note and I'm, you know i'm glad we were able to review hubby halloween and um you know we again if any news presents itself to us in the coming weeks um we or in the coming week uh until our next show we will bring it to you Um, But due to, you know, everyone knows our predicament. I don't get it. It's the same old song and dance. Um, We have no news to bring to you. So until next time, for The Wrong Theater and the 610 Podcast Network and Billy Bruno and Aiden LeCory, this has been your host, Steve O'Malley, for another episode of The Wrong Theater. We'll see you guys next week.